Hi everyone, this is Michael Volkoff and this is uh, episode 154 of Corruption from Compliance. Uh, hope you're all staying safe and healthy, really difficult time in our country right now. But I thought I would uh, post this interview with uh, Christian Focacci from Steel Compliance Solutions and I've been trying to get Christian on for a few weeks and we finally got him to sit down and talk to us about uh, artificial intelligence, machine learning, and how you apply this in the compliance framework. Uh, there's a lot of buzzwords and people using the terms of artificial intelligence and machine learning, and I always like to take a practical approach, as you know. So Christian gives us sort of the keys to how to do that, and I'm really happy to have him uh, join us today for, the, uh, for this episode. Well, Christian, uh, welcome to today's podcast. Uh, I appreciate the time you're taking uh, to visit with us, and it's great to have you here. No, it's great to be here, Michael. So before we dive into the substance of our uh, podcast, can you give uh, our listeners a little bit of background on your career and how you ended up at uh, Steel Compliance Solutions? Sure. So I have a little bit of an interesting background for a technology person because I actually started in the compliance side. So I spent about eight years uh, in the financial services industry, specifically anti-money laundering, know your customer compliance. I worked for a lot of the big banks, um, Citibank, HSBC, JP Morgan, and in pretty much every aspect of that world. So KYC, onboarding new customers, um, transaction monitoring to identify money laundering terrorist financing. And what that did is let me use pretty much every piece of software that was available. And, and I had a technical side. So I, I worked on the compliance side, but always with an interest in, in the technical piece. I left banking then in 2013 and I started dabbling in web development. And I started a company called AML Source, which is really a, a career board for anti-money laundering. And that grew and it ended up being acquired by Barbary uh, through their subsidiary, the ACFCS, which is a certification agency for financial crime professionals. After that, I started a company called Transparent with the idea that I wasn't satisfied with a lot of the tools I had in the AML space, the anti-money laundering space. I felt they weren't solving my needs as a practitioner. And the world was changing as far as the volume of information that was available, how we were processing it, how we were using it to make risk decisions. I thought it could be leveraged better than it was with legacy solutions. So I started this company, Transparent, in 2013, uh, and it went well. I, since my background was large financial institutions, that was the core of our initial clients. Uh, we slowly evolved and grew into the corporate side and third-party risk management and monitoring for reputational risk and, and sanctions watch list and versus media. Um, and Steel Compliance Solutions was actually our client. We powered one of their solutions in one of their software products called SecureMate. And it just was a good match. 
Um, we were growing and they acquired us in 2018. So I joined Steel. Now it's been two years and through acquisition of my company, Transparent. Well, terrific. And your current your current position now is vice president of? Offering management at Steel. So what that actually does is it kind of encompasses a lot of different things. So it's product management, it's technology, it's business development relationships. Uh, but my core day to day is I head up their, their data division. So essentially all the open source information that we're aggregating and purchasing and integrating into different products, I really manage that division of um, data for risk and compliance. Oh, great. Well, I thought we would start, and I, I apologize for how elementary this is, but I always we always hear the new buzzword artificial intelligence as part of fintech, due diligence, risk monitoring functions. Um, and just for our listeners, can you sort of provide, you know, as easy a definition as we can talk about or how it works uh, of what artificial intelligence actually is? Sure. And it's difficult for um, normal people and compliance officers, because like you said, there's a lot of hype around it. There's a lot of buzzwords. Um, and that's really the biggest challenge of, of working in this field, especially when you use it artificial intelligence and machine learning in your products to really differentiate what's reality and what's kind of made up or, or marketing hype. So you can think of artificial intelligence as just essentially a, a blanket term to cover any processes where we're training computers to make decisions. So it's this field of study in computer science that is around training computers to make human-like decisions. Um, and there's a lot of subcategories of AI. So if you think of AI or artificial intelligence as this umbrella, there's different paths to get to this decision making. And, and the most popular one is currently machine learning. So machine learning is essentially taking data, training computers to make decisions off existing data sets or processing data to make decisions. That's where a lot of the advancements in AI have been happening recently in the machine learning field because of the volume of data we have. But it's not the only silo of AI. You also have natural language processing, uh, which is essentially taking text and trying to derive insights from it and things like that. Uh, image recognition is a type of AI. So there's a lot of different categories and specialties within AI, but it's a blanket term for all of these. But generally speaking, when most people today are talking about AI, especially in compliance or when you're using products, it's really machine learning. And machine learning is training computers to identify patterns in data. So they identify patterns in data and then they can predict something in the future. That might be whether an email is a spam email or not a spam email or detect sentiment in a, a piece of writing. This is positive or negative or neutral. Those are all examples of machine learning. But the way they do it is they take large quantities of data. They have computers review them and essentially train them is what it's called and then have them predict what an outcome is based on existing data sets. So um, in doing this with the artificial intelligence, the machine learning, um, does that require that you have greater computer processing capabilities? In other words, um, does it require more space or whatever, you know, memory, whatever on your computer to do that? to carry those functions out? Yeah, it depends what kind of information you're, you're training the computer to do. In some cases, the answer is yes. Um, if you remember a few years ago, there was Watson, right? It trained right. it in 
in Jeopardy and, and did all of that. And they train that on millions of different questions. Um, but it's not necessary in all cases, right? And in some cases, you might not have the data to do the training. So you use something called unsupervised learning. So there's essentially two kinds of machine learning that's used in the world. One is supervised learning. One is unsupervised learning. And you'll, you'll hear those terms a lot. Supervised learning is you have an existing set of data that's labeled. So in going back to that spam email example, it is you will have a thousand emails and then they're labeled. This one is spam. This one is not spam. This one's spam. And you could take that and put it through a computer and then the computer will use whatever facets and parameters it recognizes and pulls out of the, the emails to determine what's relevant. So essentially, if it says a word, you know, like uh, win a million dollars, right, or something like that, it, it, more spam emails have claims like that, you know, pick those features up. Unsupervised learning is when the computer recognizes patterns in the data without any training data set. So an example of that would be if you just fed it financial transactions, um, and the computer can then look at those transactions and then it'll output different categories of things that are similar in the financial tra transactions, but it won't label them, this transaction is indicative of fraud or this transaction is a normal transaction. It'll just say, these transactions are similar, these transactions are different. What that is, there's another step in unsupervised learning where then humans have to go and review those buckets of information that the computer is categorizing and says, okay, based on this bucket, it looks like these are all similar and these all might be fraudulent transactions or indicative of money laundering. Let's call that bucket that. Um, but that doesn't require training data like supervised learning because the computer is bucketing things for you. So depending on the type of machine learning you're doing, it, it determines how much data you need and, and what process you're taking. So, and the buckets and the AML, uh, example is good is really interesting. So, tell me how you you see companies using this not just an AML for risk management, but financial risks, third party risks, overall risk management. How can we use artificial intelligence and machine learning to be more effective in that process? The biggest way recently is is by processing external data. So when you think about the last probably 10 years, uh, the big push 10 years ago was big data, right? And it focused on first party data. So first party data is data and organization owns, things that's happening, right. things that are happening with inside the organization where they can take it and they can derive insights from that, right? They can look at their sales numbers, they can look at different departments and compute that. And we saw a lot of tools evolve out of that generation too. A lot of the big data processing tools where letting computers take their own information, or letting companies take their own information and then get business intelligence insights. So you saw a lot of these business intelligence tools around internal data. What's happening now in the last four or five years, there's been a bigger focus on taking external data. So information outside the walls of the company. And that could be things like news articles. It can be things like government press releases or bulletins or sanctions lists, watch lists, things like that because there's significantly more information available externally than internally. And companies are realizing, okay, this is good that we are leveraging our internal data efficiently to make decisions, but we, don't have, we still don't have the whole piece of the puzzle. We need to go out and bring in external data sets to mitigate risks, to identify additional pieces of information that are relevant. 
And machine learning really shines in that, specifically because of the volume of information that is external data, and a lot of it's unstructured. So that's a kind of important distinction you'll to know too when you're talking about um, processing data. You have structured data and then unstructured data. Structured data, you can think of an Excel spreadsheet, like you have a column for name and data right. birth and all these things, and it's structured and it's nicely organized. It's really easy to work with that information because it's already labeled. Unfortunately, the vast majority of information is not structured nicely for us to process. It's just out there in unstructured text, news articles, press releases, bulletins, all of these things just floating in the world. And it's much harder to process that information because there is no structure to it. So machine learning is aptly suited for that. And machine learning and natural language processing, taking all of this information in the world, classifying it, defining what it is, putting it into buckets at a large scale because computers are really good at that. And then that lets you get insights out of it and make decisions. So that's where we're really seeing the shift of companies saying, we're going to use machine learning and natural language processing to take external information and then leverage it internally. And it's kind of your second point of how companies are doing that. And even to the earlier question of, of computing size, it, it isn't this really data intensive. It is, and it takes expertise to do. But what you're seeing now is you're seeing a generation of companies that are doing this for you. So if you were going to do this in-house, you'd have to hire a team of data scientists, right, and machine learning experts right. to identify the information, clean the data information, figure out the algorithms and do all of that, and then do it. It's very expensive, and it's, it's not the core competency of most companies. But what you're seeing companies come up that are saying, we already work with machine learning. We work with external data. Let's go and do all of that work for you so you can then just get the, the benefit of the end product, right? You get the benefit of the machine learning without actually having to train people internally and have scientists, data scientists to do all of this. So it's almost the best of both worlds. And in, in a lot of cases, it lets you prove things faster because a lot of projects you might start and then three or four years down the line, especially in a big company, you realize, wow, that wasn't what we expected when we started. But by leveraging something that is kind of a, a product already, you can you can test it much, much earlier. And you know, is this going to work for our use case? And you don't have to spend four or five years of research development to find out, eh, maybe this is the direction we should have went. And, I, and I've seen that in like the large financial companies, they'll, it's worth their time, for example, like City or whatever, to sit there and develop their own program. Uh, for due diligence and purposes, but there's so many other industries now and players out there that your idea or your suggestion of, in a sense, you're outsourcing it to another company to do it for you. Um, that to me, that to me seems like the real growth industry right now. Um, and 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 I share your optimism about that. But uh, the the common complaint I've been hearing, you know, from my clients and colleagues over the last sort of five years is the the overwhelming feeling that they're getting that they're that they're getting too much information and they don't know how to cull through it as well. And what you're suggesting here is that things are moving so fast right now in terms of machine learning and artificial intelligence that there's going to be an answer to for them in that feeling of being overwhelmed by too much information. 
Yeah, that is the biggest pain point pretty much across the board, especially when you're talking about automated tools to identify risk as far as screening or, you know, checking for sanctions or negative news or things like that. Right. Uh, the complaints, false positives, right? Because it's, it's an acute pain point. Um, false negatives are a really big problem because false negatives are when you miss something, but you didn't know you missed it, right? So in the grand scheme of things, that's probably a bigger problem because you don't even know there's a problem. But from right. a cognizant pain point that a compliance officers have, they really hone in on the false positives because it's acute, right? It's causing a workload. They have to go through. They have to review the, the alerts or the information. Um, and that's really challenging to do. So yeah. machine learning absolutely can help in both sides of that. So one, just for adverse media, if you, you talk about that, because I spent a lot of time working with unstructured right. text adverse media. So adverse media is we want to know if a company or an individual we're going to be doing business with in any relationship for corporates and third party, it could be a third party, it could be a vendor for financials, they would, you know, could be their clients. So essentially, you want to know if this entity or individual has any reputational risk out there about them that would cause you concern to do business with them. Historically, before any kind of machine learning, you would have people who would do news searches, right? So they would put a right. name in, John Smith, and do a, a news search engine, and then they would get all these news articles. Um, they might get thousands of news articles that they would have to go through. So the next kind of step would be manual iterations to, re to reduce the number of things they would have to review. So they would put John Smith and, you know, fraud or launder or crime, some sort of Boolean search trying to right. restrict the universe of information they're looking at. And that worked really well. They might have gone from 1,000 results to 200 results. So what we're seeing now with machine learning is that's exactly what it's suited for. What ends up happening is you now can then take that same set of 1,000 results that you got from the raw search or the 200 you got from even a Boolean search, which are restricted but still not optimal, and train it on a filter to identify adverse media, and you might be able to get that down to 10 results, right? And that's the really benefit of it. Because one of the things demystifying it and really setting expectations is these are not tools that are going to make decisions for us today or do our job for us. What they're really going to do is just going to make us more efficient and augment the process. So reviewing 10 results still involves a human reviewing those results making decisions and determining the risk relevance of each news article. But you, it, it, the advantage is you went from 200, even on the best case prior example, to now 10 or 1,000 to 10. So that's where you have to look at what you gain. You gain all of that efficiency, but there's still work that has to be done by humans. The other thing is now that you're able to take 1,000 results and bring it to 10, that was just one database that you were searching, right? One news archive, essentially. What machine learning lets you do is now you can search 10 different databases. And if each of those databases results, 10 things you have to look at, you might be up to 100 results that need to be reviewed. But if you think about it, you're searching 10 times the information and still right. looking at that 200 result. So it's kind of like it's counterintuitive because you think, well, I'm going to put this machine in place. It's going to do the job and, you know, problem solve. What really happens is it makes every task much more efficient and much more effective, but it lets you increase your coverage. So you have better coverage of risk and you're looking at less results. 
but it's important to set that expectation because a lot of times people just hear the marketing, they see the ads for AI and this machine is going to do all the work for me, make decisions, and I'm 100% um, solved, problem solved. But in the real world, it's not like that at all. But it's, that's a real example and you can clearly see it's way better to have 10 results to review than 1,000 or even 200, and that's the benefit of machine learning today. Right, and I here's the the thing is the cutting edge issues now, at least from the Department of Justice and the SEC and financial regulators, is it's changing compliance into what I call a proactive force, as opposed to a reactive force. And proactive means, to me, real time monitoring. Uh, of business activities, third parties, including your vendors, distributors, and agents. And to me, what you're describing, Christian, is what's ultimately going to happen is you have to set all this at an efficient level. You have to have people to review it still, but you do it efficiently. And then if you see a notice that comes in, let's say, you know, one of 10, uh, you know, you have to be ready to undertake proactive steps at that point. And so I think what you're describing is kind of the, and I wonder what your thought is on this, that this is really the foundation that you need for turning your program into what the government is expecting you to do in terms of proactive monitoring. Yeah, that's exactly right. So the government's really good at telling you what to do for a lot of compliance issues, but not how to do it, right? And that's the right, rub with right. a lot of, this is what we want, but where there's gonna be a lot of hand waving over how you actually do that in the real world. But yeah, you're 100% right. So the way to think about it is speed and scale when I think of automating and, and machine learning in these tasks. That's where its real strength is. Um, in a lot of cases, if you have, you're doing due diligence, you're gonna have a human investigator they're going to be able to dig a lot more and make a lot of discretionary decisions and find more information than a computer today, right? Because you have a human who's making proactive decisions and it's gonna be a much deeper search. Where the computers are really have an advantage is they can do search significant number of names more frequently, right? So if you have 100,000 third parties that you work with, it's possible today to screen every one of those third parties against all the media and then do it every single day to have that continuous basis where it would be impossible to uh, do that with a human. You just, no one has the resources to right. just be searching all the time. With the, the pro and con is that's the pro. You have the, you can do it more frequently, you can do it much cheaper and you can do it at a more rapid scale. The con is it's not gonna go as deep, right? So that's where a risk-based approach really comes in. So you can stratify who you're looking at and then you determine what level of diligence is appropriate for them, right? Maybe yeah. all your low-risk clients, you're screening all the time, you know, or all your clients are screening all the time on a continuous basis because you have the ability to do it. But maybe your high-risk clients, you then do a deeper dive, right? With the key now is figuring out what resources are available in the world and how do you build an effective compliance program within those constraints, right? And it's silly to risk rate clients and then treat them exactly the same. It's silly Absolutely. in corporate, silly in banking, right? Why are we risk rating if we're just gonna treat everyone the same? But it makes sense to say, we're risk rating, now let's spend way more time doing diligence on this subset because we know they're higher risk, and then lower risk ones, 
we can be continuously monitoring them because that's more appropriate. So yeah, I agree with your point exactly. And this is the the path to do it. But you just got to understand the trade-off of each side, right? Yeah. Or it gives you more frequent screening, more sources, quicker, and that cost-effective basis that you could actually reasonably do it. But it's not going to go as deep as a human doing due diligence, right? There's no way it's going to happen today. Uh, maybe in sometime in the future, but not today. So it's appropriate. You got to figure out what the strengths of each data set are, type of data you're using, and then apply that. And we're seeing that in the space. The companies that are more advanced in the third-party compliance programs are, that's what they're doing differently. They're leveraging data in smart ways, right? It's not a blanket approach where everyone's treated the same. It's saying, this type of data is good at this, and we're gonna apply it to these clients. And you might need two data providers because one is good at beneficial ownership information, One's good at adverse media, right? They might have different right. overlap. And you might have to layer those and apply them. But you're seeing buyers, especially one of the more advanced programs, being more sophisticated about the data they're using and using it when appropriate versus just saying, here's a shotgun approach, everyone's treated the same and call the day. So um, recently I saw Steele, and I guess that was one of the reasons for this podcast, is you announced uh, the offering of a new uh, AI-driven risk intelligence data service. And now that we sort of understand the foundation of this, can you uh, explain the new steel offering and how this, you know, plugs into the ideas that you've been discussing already? Sure. So historically, when you think of risk intelligence data in the past, the, the paradigm has been um, curated databases of, you know, I'm doing air quotes, essentially bad guys, right? So essentially right. a data company will aggregate people on sanctions lists and most wanted lists, uh, people on maybe in news articles, and they literally have teams of analysts who aggregate this information, put it together into a data file, they call it, and then they sell that to a corporate, a data provider, a financial institution to use for screening. On average, the databases have between about 2 million and 7 million profiles, depending on the provider you go with, right? And they all have varying levels of coverage, well, varying levels of coverage around the world, depending on the jurisdiction. What I know from doing this work for years as a researcher and an investigator is they're really accurate, those data sets, because they're human curated, right? Someone said, I'm okay, here's Michael Volkoff, I found this news article about him, put him in the profile database, here's the information about him. But what they lack is they don't scale with the way information is generated today, right? There are millions of news articles generated every single day that are always coming out. It's impossible to keep up with those having that human profile system, right? There's just no way it's scaled. There's a limit to how many workers you could have curating this, how many profiles they could process a day. And then once you build the data set, keeping it up to date, which becomes an ever, you know, Michael, the new Michael Volkoff article came out, let me add that to his profile. So you're kind of continually updating old things, adding new things, and it just doesn't scale well. That's why there's between two and seven million profiles in these databases who've been around for 15 years, but there potentially could be, you know, 100 million profiles, right? Still mm -hmm. low number. So the idea is, and what kind of when I started Transparent, which is the company that, uh, it's still acquired and that's led to the risk intelligence data aside is essentially we're going to use machine learning to process all of that risk information that's available and then take out the middleman. So there's no humans reading the information and saying this is relevant. We've trained computers to say this article is about money laundering. 
this article is about terrorist financing, this is about corruption and bribery. This is a relevancy score. So I actually have a patent on the ability to take an unstructured piece of text, score it for the relevance for financial crime compliance issues, give it a score. So you then can have all these different parameters to say, I'm only looking for articles about this type of content, money laundering and corruption bribery above this relevancy score about these topics. And you can then screen more information and truly look at adverse media and risk information, but get less results because the computer is eliminating 80% of the, the results that you don't care about anyway. So you only are looking at things that are relevant and about your search focus. So that's the kind of the core basis for what's the differentiator, why you would use this for uh, risk intelligence database, it's, it's real time, it's always updated. And the big piece of the, the data, risk intelligence data is the way we deliver it. Um, so it's cool that it's a different data set and it's machine learning and it's real time. But the one of the other core differentiators is a lot of companies might have internal systems and they don't want another system. So for example, you might use Salesforce or you might use um, SAP or something like that and you think this information is relevant, but you don't want to buy another software system that people have to log into. So the, the data risk data intelligence is unique because uh, one, it's that machine learning real time uh, data set, but also we deliver it through APIs in a lot of cases. So we can plug this information into any internal system or third party system, which lets customers leverage it, but they don't have to onboard another software application, have another login. So it's both unique data set and a unique delivery method um, because we're seeing fatigue, honestly, especially the big companies. How many different pieces of software do they have already? They want to consolidate things. And this lets us integrate an innovative data set into any solution that they currently use. So and, and that it's interesting you say that because that's the big question I've been getting from a lot of uh, clients is, you know, we want an API that we can plug into our SAP system or whatever, we want it to be another tab sort of on our screen uh, to get access to this. And what you're saying is uh, for sure this would, this is API friendly in that sense. Um, but is this, for example, this new sort of risk data analysis, is it part of your uh, uh, SecureMate, uh, Steel SecureMate? Yeah, absolutely. So obviously, you know, it's our data, so you can build apps on it. And we built our own internal apps on it before anything else, right? That's right. it powers your mate. It powers also we have our transparent application, which is for primarily financial services for anti-money laundering. That's their core client base. But it powers our internal apps first, and then so if you use Secure Mate, use any of the Steel products, you can access directly through those, and there's zero integration because it's already the connections are already built. And then if you also want to use it in another um, application, you could do that as well. And I, and I agree. I would, so I like to say things like that. We were really smart figuring this out and ahead of the yeah, curve. Yeah, yeah. The same thing happened to me that happened to you, right? People just kept yeah. coming and saying, oh, this is really cool, but we want to use it in this. And after like four or five companies telling me the same thing, I've said, maybe we should just package this up into an API. Um, so it's really reactive to what's happening in the space. And it wasn't some, you know, early epiphany that we had that this would be a great business. It was just the industry really directing what they wanted. Right. It also, the, the really cool idea that you explained is that, so let's say you're setting Mike Volkoff and 
uh, the, you know, you, you get the human, whatever the file that was prepared through a traditional database. But now what you're saying is we're going to add to that file based upon a risk score that will, let's say, say Mike Volkoff in bribery, Mike Volkoff uh, in money laundering. Mike, those are going to be higher scored than, you know, Mike Volkoff uh, got arrested for something else, you know, for, for a parking violation or something. So what you're saying is that it is doing kind of like a human function in the risk ranking of those of that information as you as you gather it. And it doesn't require a human being to do that. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. And even in that case, so we developed this product in a world where all of those risk intelligence databases already existed, those, mm -hmm. you know, URA databases. And most of our early clients in the financial world used one of them or multiple ones. So even if you do use one of those databases, there's still room because what ends up happening is, let's say you use this database and you get a match for John Smith. What ends up happening in practice, the person who gets that match looks at it and they say, okay, here's a couple of links. Let me click these. They might be live or they might be dead, depending on when the article is added. And then every single time, they're just going to go to Google and search the name and exactly. see what they Exactly. Exactly. Yep. So That's there's it. even you can use this directly as a standalone thing, but there's even saying, hey, it enriches other data sources. So we're seeing both use cases, right? If you're you have no media monitoring or continuous monitoring or sanctions in you in your program and you want that tomorrow, great, we'll do that. But even for companies that are using another data source, we're saying we built this understanding the limitations of those data sources. You can then enrich any kind of page you get, a profile or alert or any um, third-party information at the time and then save yourself having to do that additional step of then, oh, now let me go to Google and start Googling around. And everyone Googles differently. And depending on where you are in the world, people get different Google results, right? So from a compliance perspective, uh, consistency is important. You don't want someone in New York uh, seeing an article and then someone in England not seeing it because of some sort of, you know, right to be forgotten or something like that. And Google will give different results to everybody. So when you use our data set, you get a consistent piece of set of data, no matter where you are in the world, and you could use it as a standalone or to enrich another data set. Well, that's, and that's an important distinction. So it's not just available through SecureMate. I may have another database service and I can uh, layer this on to make my other service, whatever it is, uh, more efficient is what you're saying. Yeah, that's exactly right. The easiest path is for, you know, if you, the easiest path is to secure me because it's already the integration's done. Um, right. But you can put it in any application. And it's funny, like, uh, you know, being a small startup, we were scared of everyone in the world, right? All the other yeah. big companies, the other big data providers are multi-billion dollar companies, right? Their news right. organizations are very large. So we're like, we were terrified. But now it's really come full circle where now we work with many of those companies. We provide our data into their applications and it powers theirs as well. Um, so it's a really interesting to come full circle. It's thinking these were the big bad guys in the world and we have to stay away from them to now having really good relationships with a lot of them. So what's a, you know what though, what's And that's an interesting story over a short period of time. What's gonna, what, you know, when you and I hopefully we're still here, five years from now, and we have the same conversation, it could look a lot different again. Yeah, because the thing is, too, you can't stay static in this world because there are new, and that's one of our advantages, there's new data sets coming online all the time, 
and technology is advancing all the time. So even last week, there was a brand new natural language processing model that just came out, it was GPT-3 it's called, um, that it's really cutting edge as far as it's doing things, it does natural language generation. So how it works essentially is it will take a word and then it's, it's seen or been trained on every piece of language on the internet, every word on the internet, and it'll predict what the next word will be. And by doing that, it can then create text and it could write a whole news article or blog post. And it's almost pretty tough if you're not sure of the subject matter to tell a computer wrote that. So now we're seeing natural language generation from computers at a level even a month ago that wasn't possible today. So one, you're seeing more and more data and interesting data sources come online that could be utilized in different ways. So that's gonna be one way. But then two, just the way machine learning and natural language processing is, is progressing, that's going to lead to a lot of new and interesting things. So it's, it's important to keep up on both fronts. One, making sure you're bringing in the best data, the newest data that you could find. And then two, making sure that you're staying up to date on the machine learning side, because it, it's literally changing now month by month. Well, listen, Christian, this has been fantastic. Thank you so much uh, for your time. This has been fascinating, educational. Uh, and um, if listeners want to get in touch with you to follow up on some of these issues, uh, how can they reach you uh, at Steel Compliance? Sure. So you could reach me, one, LinkedIn. I'm pretty active on LinkedIn. Um, first name, last name. It'll be, um, there's only one of me in the world, I believe. <laughs> so it's pretty easy LinkedIn profile. Uh, email is my first initial last name at steelglobal.com. Uh, you can reach me out through that email as well. Um, either of those avenues, I'm happy to talk to anybody. Well, thank you again, Christian. And uh, it's terrific. Uh, thanks for your time again. And uh, best of luck to you. This is a really fascinating area. And, and uh your ability to explain it to everybody has been just fantastic. Thank you again. Thanks, Michael. Thanks again for listening to Corruption, Crime, and Compliance. Please subscribe to the podcast series. The Volkov Law Group believes that every company should have a robust ethics and compliance program. Experience and research show that ethical companies are better performers in the global marketplace. You can learn more about the legal and compliance services we offer at our website www.volkovlaw.com. You can also follow our award-winning blog, Corruption, Crime, and Compliance, and our podcast series. You can contact Michael Volkov at his email address, mvolkov at volkovlaw.com.
Machines to save our lives Machines to 